This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. We are reminded that the primary characteristic of the early Christian culture was one thing. And that one thing was love. That was the primary characteristic that the early Christians had to the world that was around them. The outside world looked at the Christian community, and the one thing that stood out more than anything else was the really cool t-shirts that they wore. No, that wasn't it at all, was it? As Pastor David continues his teaching on living as a sacrifice, he will be emphasizing the importance of allowing the Holy Spirit to love through you. Jesus said, Love one another as I have loved you, and you also love one another. By this, all will know you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The one thing that is a testimony to the world that you're a disciple of Christ is your genuine love for one another. Being a living sacrifice is all about loving God and loving each other. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 9, with our continuing study entitled, Living as a Sacrifice. How do I live as a sacrifice with brothers and sisters in Christ? How do I live as a sacrifice with the world outside that doesn't even understand? Now, this living as a sacrifice, as I said this morning, we are in part two. There's going to be several parts to this, and uh, I'm just labeling it part one, two, three, four, five, six, because I run out of catchy little titles, and uh, this kind of puts it all together, because it is all together. I believe that beginning in chapter 12, in verse 1, where Paul says that, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I believe that from that point on, the rest of Romans, Paul is speaking about how we do that, the application of how we live as living sacrifices. So we need to understand, first of all, that this section of Scripture, this is not theology, this is practicality. This is the practical day-by-day existence of you and I living as sacrifices under the Lord and yet still living in this world. How do I die and still live? Last week we began this series, and I gave you uh, three different lessons from last week's message recognizing the true self, there where Paul says that, hey, uh, don't be thinking of yourself more than you ought to, but again, think soberly, think right-minded about things. He talked about thinking both, or we spoke about last week, about thinking both the good things as well as the bad things, that we are not so good that we don't need, again, to be humbled at times, and yet we're not so bad that we don't need at times to be bold and to step out in faith because of what God's doing in our lives. We also spoke about the interconnectedness of the body of Christ, that there are many members but one body, and we all work together within the body of Christ. And that's why God has brought together the local body. And that's why as an individual, it really grieves my heart when I hear individuals who say, well, yes, I'm a Christian, but I don't fellowship at any one particular church. 
They may not even go regularly to a church, uh, to a local assembly. Beloved, I believe that a very important part of who we are as believers is being connected in on a local level with like-minded brothers and sisters in Christ that we might be encouraged and that we might be an encourager, that we might receive, but that we might also give to the body. And when we're not connected with one local body and we're just kind of floating around, we really miss the opportunities of fulfilling all that God has gifted us for, plus we miss the opportunity of receiving the fullness of what God has available to us. Now, that's just an extra little message. That's special. Uh, no extra charge on that. The third thing we learned last week is that we need to seek the needs of others, that the gifts of the Spirit that were given to the body of Christ was for the benefit of the whole body. They weren't to say, hey, look how spiritual I am because I have this gift or I have that gift. Don't you wish you had that gift too? That's not the reasoning for the gifts. The gifts are for the benefit of the body as as a whole, to edify, to encourage, to build up, to strengthen the body as a whole. So today we're going to add two more lessons to that, and again, just calling them number four and number five. Number four is that Christ's love should be manifested through us within the body of Christ. Understand that the manifestation of Christ's love should flow through us, throughout the body of Christ. And we're going to look at that in verses 9 to 13. Number five, we're going to look at Christ's love should be manifested, and again, through us, within the world that we live, the outside world, wherever that might be, in the school, at the workplace, in our neighborhoods, wherever it might be. And when I say the world, that means outside Christian community, with those who are non-believers, that the truth of Christ's love needs to be manifested in our lives to the world that we live. <clears throat> in all of this, I'm reminded of a story that Ray Steadman, a pastor and Bible teacher at Peninsula Bible Church up in the Northwest, uh, speaks about in reference to what we're going to be talking. He speaks about a man that was walking down the street one day, and as he passed by a particular bookstore, he noticed in the window of the bookstore a, a, a book, not a booklet, but a fairly decent-sized book. And the title of the book actually caught his attention. The book said, How to Hug. And he thought, well, that's interesting that they would write a the full volume on how to hug. And so he went into the bookstore and inquired about it. And to his amazement, it turned out that that was volume two of a three-volume set on how to hug. You think, well, do we really need to have that much information? Well, I'm reminded of that when Paul says we need to be living sacrifices. And now in all of chapter 12, all of chapter 13, all of chapter 14, Paul begins to delineate how we do that as living sacrifices. We might think, okay, I just need to forget about myself and live unto the Lord. Well, that is true, but do you really know how to do that? Do you really have the practical tools within your life to know how to die to self and live unto the Lord and manifest the love of Christ to the world outside these walls? It's interesting that as we focus on all of this, we are reminded that the primary characteristic of the early Christian culture was one thing, and that one thing was love. 
That was the primary characteristic that the early Christians had to the world that was around them. The outside world looked at the Christian community, and the one thing that stood out more than anything else was the really cool t-shirts that they wore. No, that wasn't it at all, was it? The one thing that really stood out was the fact that they had these Scripture verses on little bumper stickers that they put on the back of their cart. No, that wasn't it either. The one thing that really stood out to the world about the Christian community was love. And that was the love of God that was being worked out in them and through them. Well, that's exactly what Jesus told them would take place. Jesus, speaking to the disciples on the night that he was betrayed, speaks to them and he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I've loved you, and that you also love one another. And by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, or if you have love for one another. The one thing, gang, And you need to focus on this, and you need to catch this if you catch nothing else in today's message. The one thing that is a testimony to the world outside that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ is your real and true love for each other in the same way that Jesus loves us. Now, that's pretty phenomenal, that is pretty big, and I'm going to tell you at the beginning, it's downright impossible in our own flesh and in our own abilities. But with God, you know the rest of that verse, all things are possible. With the Holy Spirit working and moving in our lives and we being completely surrendered to Him, we know that it is possible. I shared with you last week, this living as a sacrifice is the most difficult thing that you will ever, ever do. And we continue that today as we look at some things that are going to simply, uh, man, we're all going to struggle with. We're all going to battle with. But our love for one another needs to be one of those things that is utmost in our minds and in our directions. Peter spoke to us in First Peter chapter 1. He says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love for the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Fervently. That has the kind of the idea and, and the, the, the thought uh, with, with, with a passion, with a, with a fire, with a, a distinctiveness, a, a purpose that says, I am going to purposefully love you, even when you're unlovely. And you know what? Quite often we're unlovely. And that's why this is so difficult to do in the flesh, because we need to do it above and beyond what we see, and what we experience with each other. John, in his later days, as he's writing the epistle of John to the early church, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, he says, Now this is the message that we've had from the beginning, that we should love one another. And beloved, that message didn't change then. It hasn't changed in the 2,000 years since Jesus Christ shared it with his disciples when he says, They will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. Tertullian, who was a second century Christian teacher and writer. He's often misquoted in what I'm about to read you here, but listen to the completeness of the quote. The completeness of the quote, he says, Look, they say, 
how they love one another, for they themselves hate one another, and how they are ready to die for each other, for they themselves are readier to kill each other. The reason it's misquoted is because of the difficulty of understanding what he's saying outside of the context of where he has written it. What Tertullian is writing is what the world outside is declaring about the Christians. And he says, they, the outside world, the non-believers, they say, look how they, the Christians, love one another. Because they, the outside world, the non-believers, they themselves hate one another. He goes on to say that the pagans, the lost, the non-believers say, and look how the Christians, the believers, they're ready to die for each other. And Tertullian says, because the world outside, they're more ready to kill each other. You see, there ought to be a major difference within the body of Christ from the outside world. Not just that we meet together at a, at a, at a nice little club on Sunday mornings and we come in and sing little songs and, and have a little bit of fellowship time. No, it's much, much more than that. You and I ought to be, be being equipped on a regular basis to be able to live the life that Christ has called for us to live. And we come together to encourage each other, to challenge each other, to stimulate each other, to prod each other on, and to love each other even in spite of all of our failures and i don't know about you but i look around the room and i see a lot of people with a lot of failures and you know what i fit right in real well with that group because every morning i look at this guy that's got a lot of failures and there's a lot of times that i disappoint people i discourage people. I might say something that's taken uh, wrongly or maybe it's taken rightly and I discourage or I make people angry. And you do the same thing. And yet Christ has called for us to love one another. And so there is a great context of what we are going to be looking at this morning that speaks of how we do that with all of our failings, with all of our faults, yet we still, in the love of Christ, Love one another. So let's look at how these lessons are all going to fit in. We're going to begin in verse 9 as we speak about the Christ's love being manifested through us to the body of Christ. Beginning in verse 9, and I'll read through verse 13 and come back and we'll take a look at it. Paul writes, So let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. I told you that this was going to be difficult and it doesn't get any easier the further we get into chapter 12 or chapter 13 or chapter 14. Because it is unnatural for us to live this way. It only works supernaturally as we submit ourselves as living sacrifices unto the Lord, holy and acceptable to Him, which is simply the reasonable service. It's the practical reality of what we should be doing in view of what Christ has done for us. He says, 
First of all, Paul speaks about the realness of our love. He says, let your love be without hypocrisy. Without hypocrisy. You you understand those masks from early drama. It would hide the face of the reality of the actor behind them. And unfortunately for many, even within the body of Christ, there is a tremendous amount of hypocrisy that goes on. We can hear the words on a weekly uh, routine. Hey, how you doing, brother? Hey, I love you, sister. I love you, brother. And then we go out from there. We take no other thought, no other concern, no other impact of these individuals in our lives for the rest of the week. And then we come back the next day. We put on the mask and we speak about how much we love each other. And do we really love each other if that's the essence of our relationship with each other? Paul says, let our love be without hypocrisy. He uses the Greek word anopokritos. Anopokritos is a combination of the two words. But the main word is hypocritos, which we get the word hypocrite from. And Paul is saying our love for each other needs to be without pretense. It needs to be genuine. And it needs to be sincere. And I know that that more often than not, is in spite of who the other person is. That our love for each other, more often than not, has to be in spite of what you've said, what you've done, how you've acted, how you've responded. My love for you needs to be over all of that. Why? Because I have sacrificed my life. It's not about me. It's about making the reality of Christianity apparent to the world for my love one for another. And next he says, we need to abhor evil. The direction of our life needs to be against that that is evil. There needs to be a hatred, a despising, a loathing of our in our lives of that that is evil. It's said by one that those who love righteousness intensely will intensely hate sin. But the problem is, is for many, even as believers, we don't intensely desire righteousness. And so we accommodate sin. You see, sin is not that big of a deal if I'm not striving for righteousness in my life, in every aspect of my life. If I'm not striving for righteousness in every process of my life, then I'm going to tolerate a little bit of sin here and a little bit of sin there. But Paul says, no, we need to loathe it. We need to despise it. We need to detest sin in our own lives and in the lives of others, that, man, I don't want to have anything to do with that. The psalmist in 97 verse 10 declares that you that love the Lord hate evil. This isn't a commandment that he's saying, if you love the Lord, you need to hate evil. No, he's saying a declaration of a reality of point. You that love the Lord hate evil. But you know what? You that don't hate evil don't really love the Lord. If we give room for the enemy, then our love for the Lord isn't where it needs to be. And I need to increase in that. I need to grow in that. I need to hunger more for righteousness. I need to desire more the things of God in order that the detesting and the abhorring and the hatred of evil and of sin would be so apparent in my life. 
And that's what Paul is trying to drive home to us here. He also says that we need to cling to what is good, and that word that he uses for cling is be glued to. Like, man, take some super glue, find good, and stick yourself to it. That is how we need to cling to what is good. Paul tells us in Philippians 4.8, he says, Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. I ought to be seeking out those things continually in my life. Let my mind just wander and in the wandering of my mind suddenly fall in the ditch or fall in the putrid or the slime of the world or do I purposefully focus my mind on those things that are going to give glory and honor to Christ. There are enough bombardments in our lives hourly, moment by moment through the day that try to drag us into the garbage of the world. That's why you and I need to be on guard to purposefully Focus our lives on the good that we need to be glued to, super glued to those things that are good. Again, the psalmist de- declares in Psalm thirty-seven twenty-seven, he says, depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. Depart from evil, do good, and the result of that is dwelling forevermore. Well, he goes on in verse 10, he says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, and in honor giving preference to one another. It's interesting here, again, I bring to mind the uh, uh, two Greek words that he uses here, Philostorgus and Philadelphia. Philostorgus and Philadelphia. One of them you're probably pretty familiar with, the second one, Philadelphia. Come, you know, we have the city, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. That's what the name of it means in the Greek. It's a love of a close brother, even through various trials. And when he speaks about having that brotherly love, that's what he's speaking about. That even through various trials, through situations of life, that our love for one another would continue. I grew up in a family of four boys. Now, I don't know uh, what your family situation is, but with a family of four boys and uh, um, just all of that energy and testosterone going on all the time, we were always fighting. Uh, we, were, we, we were continually fighting with each other. And there was always something that we were battling about during that time. But it was interesting. If someone were to pick on one of the brothers, the other three wouldn't say, ha ha, serves you right. No, you know what? They'd have all four of the Landry boys to have to deal with at that point in time. Whether it be the oldest or the youngest or any of the in-between. Why? Because there was that bond, that was that, there was that connection. And that's what Paul is speaking about, this brotherly love, even in spite of trials and tribulations that might come. Even in spite of the fact that, man, we may have some disagreements or misunderstanding in some way. I need to love you and I need to care about you in such a way that I'm willing to risk even of my own good, my own benefit, for your good and for your benefit. He uses the other word, philostorgus, and the idea and the thought behind that is similar, but it has a different emphasis. It's a familial love. It's the love of a parent toward a a child. That kindly affectionate is what the New King James translates it. And again, man, I want the best for you. I want to see you nourished and cared for. I want to see you Protected. I want to see you grow into the best 
possible way that God can grow in your life. And I'm going to do everything possible, just as the sacrificial love that a parent would give for their child. That's what he means when he speaks about the fact that we are kindly affectionate. And how do we do that? We do that in honor, giving preference to one another. You see, I give preference, I lift up another, I serve another more than myself. And it's only through that is that kindness that love, that kind of a relationship really demonstrated. Well, he builds on that thought in the next verse as he goes, not lagging in diligence, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. It's interesting in all three of these, not lagging in diligence. In other words, there needs to be this faithful consistence of going and continually moving on, not slacking up, not lagging behind, but continually faithfully with diligence doing these things. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. What does it mean to confess with the mouth and believe? Well, Pastor David will answer these questions and more as he teaches through the book of Romans. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to www.theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although The Open Word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. If not, we'd like to invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for worship on Saturday evenings, Sunday mornings, or Wednesday evenings. For service times, driving directions, and more information, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Finally, we want to encourage you to follow us on Twitter at The Open Word Radio or log on to theopenword.com and follow the link right there on the homepage. Well... That's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with David Landry. Please join us next time as Pastor David continues teaching verse by verse through the book of Romans. That's next time on The Open Word.